This is an extra episode of The Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at some of the films that he missed throughout the year 2022 so far. This is part one, because there's a lot of movies he's got to catch up on the list. So here it comes, a bunch of movies. What are they going to be? How, are he, how is he going to like them? We'll just have to tune in and find out. This episode starts right now. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to an extra episode of the Real Me and Colton Movie Podcast. I am your host, Chase Lee. And thank you for tuning in on this day or night or whenever you're listening to this. You guys are awesome. And speaking of you guys, if you uh, want to share this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. Um, you know, all you guys' support from week to week uh, has been fantastic. And maybe, maybe there's someone out there that's been looking for a movie podcast to listen to. And maybe you can just show them this one and be like, well, he's talking about several movies in this one. Maybe you'll like one of them. Uh, so there is that. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you could spread it around, that would be uh, fantastic. Like it. Do all the social media stuff. Like I said at the top, this is an extra episode. Um, and so... I thought to myself that there was a lot of movies that I missed throughout this year, and I've been doing a lot of catch-up uh, recently, and so this is going to be broken up into parts throughout the rest of the year, but uh, I definitely wanted to do like a part one of uh, movies that I, I have missed, and you know, um, I think on my list I have like 15 of them so far, so I'm going to break them up into chunks, so you're not just like bodied with 15 movie reviews, I don't know, maybe you want that, but... Um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing uh, today. I'm going to reveal the the six I'm going to be talking about here shortly. But yes, um, if there's any uh, other movies uh, out there that you know you have seen or like you've heard about, and I haven't touched upon on the podcast yet, just send it my way. Maybe I can add to the list, and maybe I can get it to um, by the end of the year. So yeah, there's that. But uh, yeah, I, uh, since this is an extra episode, obviously I've already done the weekly one, so. Um, I won't I won't ask you guys how you're doing again, but hopefully everyone's doing well. I'm doing well. I've been enjoying catching up on all this stuff and uh, just uh, doing all these reviews for you guys. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's not waste any time. Uh, here are the six for part one of the uh, reviews that I'm going to be going over. All vary in tone, so that's going to be fun for you. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to be going over Bob's Burger, the Bob's Burgers movie, uh, Orphan First Kill. Spin Me Round, Watcher, Windfall, and The Gray Man. So those are the movies I have picked. There's a couple that are on Netflix. There's one on, or a couple on AMC Plus, one on Paramount Plus, one on Hulu. So kind of just all over the place. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, really excited to kind of go, go over that. So that is this is going to be part one of my catch up for the rest of the year. I'm going to have many parts throughout this because there's going to be so many that I'm going to have to catch up on. So instead of just doing individual reviews, I'm just going to do in kind of lumps like this. So uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy it. But let's not waste any time because I got six reviews to throw at you. So uh, yeah, so when we come back from the break, uh, I will be going over uh, the first one and there's gonna not going to be any breaks in between uh, each one. I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into one after the other. So that's how you're going to receive. Oh, actually, no, let me do three, take a break, and then I'll do the other three. That way uh, it's not overwhelming or anything. So yeah, so when we come back from the break, uh, I will be going over the first three. We'll take another break, and then we'll do the other three, and then we'll end the extra episode. So thank you so much for tuning in on this extra one. Um, I'll see you guys here pretty soon. Hi, it's me interrupting me, and I just wanted to take a break to thank the sponsor of this review, Movie Palette. Movie Palette takes the concept of the movie poster to the next level. 
Movie palette consists of stripes of colors carefully chosen by their team of artists. Every stripe represents a color of a particular scene in a movie and is put in chronological order on the canvas. There are so many movies to pick from, and it doesn't even stop there. They also have whole seasons of TV shows. I recently moved and I needed some things to put on my wall, and I was getting tired of putting up traditional movie posters and wanting something different, and Movie Palette stepped up to the plate. The movie palette that I chose was one of my favorite movies of all time, Logan. This gorgeous palette is a constant reminder of how beautiful this film is and how each scene evokes a different emotion all through its language of color, not to mention a great conversation starter. This is a unique piece to any film and TV lover's home and I want to help you get one. Use the discount code CHASE15 for 15% off of any product on their website. Film is art, so why not display your favorite as such? That's 15% off of your order when you use the code CHASE15. And welcome back from the break. Thank you to our sponsor, Movie Palette. And so let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about the first three, uh, starting with the Bob's Burgers movie. So what is this movie about? The Belchers try to save the restaurant from closing as a sinkhole forms in front of it, while the kids try to solve a mystery that could <laughs> excuse me, save their family's restaurant. So, you know, going into this, I was a very casual fan of the show. I think I've maybe seen a few episodes here and there, but I like it. It's very dry, deadpan style delivery humor. It works really well for the show. And then what's really great about the Fox lineup, the Fox animated lineup, is that you have this with that style of humor. Family Guy's more raunchy. Simpsons is its own brand of humor, uh, more like parody and stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting lineup, but this one has a unique style, and there's a reason why this is so beloved by people I need to watch more of it. But I was excited for the movie. Um, so yeah, going into all that and after watching the movie, I gotta say, I, I like it. Um, it, it, it's a good movie. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to rewatch it again. Maybe if I have more of a deeper appreciation for the show and the characters and some of the humor, maybe some of the, the jokes that I didn't understand, maybe because they're, they've been a running gag in the series. I have no clue, but from just Watching a few episodes, then jumping straight into the movie, I kind of liked it. I, I like the adventure that the Belters kind of go on. I like the fact that they split them up. So it's like the parents go on their, on their own journey, and then they have get their kids going on another journey, and then they all kind of meet up at the very end. But it felt, you know, pretty epic in scope when it comes to the Bob's Burgers world. You know, a lot of their episodes from just what I've seen on uh, television and stuff, you know, it happens all within their restaurant and all within this little town. Now, this movie doesn't go, like, beyond this little town, but it kind of, like goes a little further uh, than, you know, like the street corner and like, you know, the pier and all that stuff. And so we got to see kind of a, a, a broader scope for this story. And I thought it, it worked out really well, just so we can kind of see these characters kind of play a little bit more in this world and in their own sandbox. I liked the story. It was fun. It was an engaging um, kind of narrative to where there's many jokes at play coming from the kids and or the adults. And it, it was really well handled when it comes to stretching a story out to an hour and 42 minutes. I think this uh, movie did a, pr a pretty good job. The animation is actually stunning. I remember when I saw the Simpsons movie for the first time in theaters, I was like, this is radically different than the show. Now, obviously with the show, you have to crank out 20 episodes a season. And, excuse me, there's just not a lot of time and care that you can put into each episode. You have to have your plates ready and you have to have you know, drawings for specific scenes that you can reuse for other scenes and other episodes later down the season. It has to be um, 
a better structure when you're doing TV. And so it, obviously it's not going to look as cinematic. It's not going to look as polished or high def. It's going to look good, but it's not going to look like cinematic. And so this film is a complete step up in terms of um, the show, as it should, as a feature film. And the animation is stunning. The, the colors are crisp. They're vibrant. They're detailed. It's um, a really well animated uh, movie. And I, I've always liked the animated style of the show. So this translates really well to the big screen. As far as the humor goes, like I said, hmm, excuse me, I think, I think the humor for the most part works for me. Uh, a lot of the stuff, you know, kind of just passes by my head. And I don't really chuckle at it or just, I don't really give it any attention. But this film has the opportunity to just throw a bunch at you per scene. And there's always something that you're going to kind of like, you know, chuckle at or something you're going to really die laughing at. I think there's a nice variety there to where like there's so much happening that someone's going to find something funny in each scene, whether it be like the situation that the characters are in or the dialogue, they're going to find something. So I thought the humor worked for the most part, um, and I found myself to be really enjoying the film, and it, the humor of the film really helps with the pacing because you just want to be in this world with these characters and these jokes, and it just makes the time of the movie go by way faster. So I was really invested in it on that front too. The voice performances, great, always great. I remember when I first um, saw the show, I was like, because this was at the same time like when Archer and Bob's Burgers were like super um, popular at the same time. They're still popular shows respectively, but like there was a time where like H. John Benjamin was doing everything. He was doing this show, he was doing Archer, he was doing other guest voice work on other shows. I'm like, this man is just, he's just always busy. Um, but I love his voice, uh, the, the deepness, the gruffness, it works for the kind of deadpan delivery that the show uh, offers in terms of a tumor. I love H. John Benjamin. He's great um, as, as Bob. And, of course, you got Christian Shaw uh, as Luis. And then uh, everyone else, uh, believe it or not, is uh, – I, I actually didn't know this. Uh, Tina, played by a guy. Linda, played by a guy. Um, it was one of those things, Tor, when I found out. Uh, it is Dan Mintz and John Roberts, respectively. But I remember when I first found that, I was like, you know what? That makes sense. If you kind of replay the show, you're like, yeah, there's definitely like, there's definitely some testosterone in that voice. Um, it, it feels a little deeper. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly did not know that until uh, later on. But I thought everyone did a fantastic job. They just all recapture what they do on the show. They just bring it to the big screen. But um the cool thing with all these voice actors is that they are just really talented. They're really quick on their feet. Um, you can definitely tell that they're just impeccable line readers and the comedy just hits uh, for the most part. Really love it. Uh, and then Eugene Herman, uh, who plays uh, Gene, the best. Gene, Gene's always uh, my favorite. Him and Tina always go back and forth as my favorite character. But um, yeah, I loved all the voice acting. Just really just, just takes the sensibilities that you see on the show and you just apply it to the big screen. And there's nothing more you can ask for. But there's really nothing more to say about this. If you are a fan of the Bob's Burgers movie, I think you'll really enjoy this. Um, if you're looking for a nice little comedy to watch, uh, you know, this long weekend like on Labor Day or just whenever, or you want to catch up on movies from this year, this is not a bad one. It it was a breezy little time, and I, I enjoyed watching it for what it was. And that is my thoughts on the Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, please let me know down below what you thought of the film. All right, for the second film, let's talk about Orphan First Kill. So what is this movie about? 
What is it? It is a prequel to the 2009 film Orphan, and this one follows Esther as uh, she is trying to orchestrate a brilliant escape from an Estonian psychiatric facility, and she wants to travel to America by impersonating the missing daughter of a wealthy family. Very, very, very skeptical of a prequel because I like the first one. The first one is just B-level horror entertainment. Don't take it seriously. The twist is what people talk about. And so, yeah, I, I get it. It's not for everyone, but I really enjoy it, especially as a, a horror film fan that kind of, as a teenager, I would like venture out and watch like things like Evil Dead and like Dead Alive and all these low budget horror films. And I just appreciate kind of like just smaller horror films. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I've, I've always had a love for them. And this kind of reminds me of that. So the first film is is awesome. And also in the sense of, I worked at the movie theater when that movie came out. I worked there for six years. So I saw the Transformers boom. This was from 2006 to 2012. Transformers, Harry Potter, early stages of the MCU, big family films, Pirates of the Caribbean. Saw it all. First Avatar. I witnessed so much energy from the crowds with these big blockbusters. The first Orphan probably garnered the most attention I had ever seen from any movie. That ending is what people talked about. People were buzzed when they walked out of that film, whether it was good or bad. They were just buzzed. They just wanted to talk about, like, what was that? Or, like, yeah, that was great. Or, like, whatever. I hadn't seen that much activity come and chatter come out of a movie in my entire six years there. Same effect with like Shutter Island. It was mainly those like mysteries or like thrillers or horror films that had these like twists that I guess people hadn't seen in a, in a long time. And they just, I don't know, it catches them off guard and you're just like, whoa. So yeah, I remember the first Orphan film just being a huge hit with audiences. So after, you know, I liked the first film. And after watching this one, I, I love it. I, I really do. I, listen, is it schlocky? Is it just over the top and ridiculous? Yeah, but you know what? I like it. I like the fact that Esther is a diabolical villain that we're following. And what's really great about this one and what makes this one stand out from the first one is not only is Esther just as diabolical and just conniving as she is in the first one, for obviously it's the same character, but in this one, she goes head to head with someone who is arguably worse than her. So it's like villain on villain violence. And um, we kind of have to see them kind of play this cat and mouse game with one another. And it's awesome. It's something I didn't expect because I thought they were just going to rinse and repeat have her go to the first family where she like kills them and whatever. And then she eventually transitions to uh, the orphan movie. Uh, but I, I like this one because we see Esther like have, have like her match. Like she, she is struggling to take on this person going against her who, like I said, is arguably worse than her. So I really love the story from that perspective of just seeing Two antagonists go at it. That's something very unique uh, that I hadn't seen in a movie in quite some time uh, where you don't know who you're rooting for. You're just like, this is insane. This is crazy. I love it. I want to see them duel and go at it and see who comes out on top. Obviously, we know who comes, who comes out on top because the first movie exists. But 
yeah, as a standalone, it's great. I, I, I really like the story. It's really intense. It's gory. It's violent. Um, the cat and mouse psychological games that they play with one another is really great. The dialogue um, going back and forth between them, it just, uh, I don't know, it was just really enticing. And I really like the performances from both of the, the people um, you know, going at it. I don't want to say who's the villain, uh, excuse me, the other villain. That's a spoiler, so I'm just gonna just gonna leave it vague. But um, yeah, I thought they were both kind of going at it was really fun to see, and just seeing that particular actor let loose a little bit and just um, show us a different side was really fun. So I really like this kind of psychological mind effing cat and mouse thing that they had going on. Uh, really fun from that perspective, and like I said, kind of makes it fresh and unique and it's not just a rinse and repeat of the first one so i really enjoyed the story from that standpoint and it, it kept it interesting because you know the twist in this one actually happens halfway in between so you still have all this movie left knowing the twist now you're just like okay that's interesting now you would kind of want to see where it goes so i thought it was really like just not even just from a a a horror film where it's just like, oh, yeah, the kills were great. Like, it was exciting to watch. It's like, no, the story was actually good. <laughs> I, I really I really am kind of impressed that they managed to pull this off. I kind of like this one better than the first one. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Here's the only downfall to now watching this one first before you watch Orphan is that you already know the twist in Orphan. Because they explain it in the first, like, five minutes of this one. So the fact that Orphan hangs on that twist and it is said in the first five minutes of this one, if you watched it in order now, like as it is intended to chronologically, then that twist in the first one is not going to really matter. And that movie hangs in that it hangs on that. So, <laughs> excuse me, that would be my only gripe is that, if you wanted to watch this like as intended, like this is a prequel and then you watch the original, I don't know if you can do it. It's not going to have the same impact. I honestly think you just have to watch it how it's intended, like how it was released. Um, I know that's not ideal, but that's what I was kind of thinking about was like the first one, um, that twist is so crucial that you already know it in this one. So it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I would prefer you watch it in the opposite order or like the order it was released theatrically. So I don't know. That'd be my only gripe uh, in terms of like the story and just like character revelations and stuff. It just, this actually plays out more like a sequel. So I, I don't know. Uh, anyways, small little gripe. Anyways, uh, back to uh, orphan first kill. I really like the performances. Uh, Isabella Furman, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, she plays Esther. She's played it in both films. Really great stuff. You have to do that balance of playing a kid, maybe playing someone older, and you really have to have like sensibilities for both in terms of age uh, and act both. And you know, I thought the the kind of flipping back and forth, she just she's really great at it. Great at that. Plays the innocent little girl one second, you know, uh, I'm so sad, mommy, and then she just like picks up a knife and just like starts murdering you. Um, no, she's really great at kind of balancing both, and she's really just fun to watch as um, uh, a great antagonist. And then Julia Stiles is in this. I always like I always like her when she pops up and stuff. She's wonderful in this. Great. 
she plays uh, the mother. Rosif, Rosif uh, Sutherland plays the father. He's great. Um, you know, I, I guess just okay. He's not really in it that much. Uh, this is mainly a Julia Stiles and Isabel uh, Furman uh, movie, which also fine with. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of like other secondary characters that pop up for maybe a scene or two, but they're not really that important. Everyone does a pretty good job, especially for a film called Orphan First Kill, which was the prequel to, you know, Orphan. It's not like, you know, the biggest box office smash of 2009. So the fact that everyone came to play and like elevated this movie like even further, I love that. I love when people like, it doesn't matter what the, the movie is or the tone, or they just go in there and give it 100%. I loved everyone in this. Uh, everyone did a either okay job to really great job. But um, yeah, I thought the kills were interesting. Definitely gory. Get you back into that kind of like um, gory B-level 80s style horror film. I don't know. I, there was something very um, uh, timeless about this film. It's like you were watching. You're like, first of all, I love the Dark Castle logo. So it took me back. To like early 2000s but like just watching it i felt like i was watching like this really cool small film from like 1984 or something i don't know it just it has that kind of sensibility where you feel like you're watching like this really kind of classic horror film uh, but it was made this year so or made last year but you know what i mean but uh yeah i i really enjoyed it <laughs> excuse me if you are uh, a fan of horror films or if you're a fan of the first orphan or, heck, if you, even if you didn't even like the first Orphan, but you like horror films, give this one a shot. You actually might like this one. I actually like this one better than the first one. It actually worked for me as a prequel and even as standalone films. So, um, sorry, I'm coughing. But And those are my thoughts on Orphan First Kill. Please let me know down below what you thought of the film, and uh, I'd like to know all your thoughts on it. And for the third film, before we get into the second break, is Spin Me Round. So what is this movie about? A woman wins an all-expenses-paid trip to the company's gorgeous institute outside of Florence, and also the chance to meet the restaurant chain's wealthy and charismatic owner. She finds a different adventure than the one she imagined. So, going to this, I had no clue what it was about. I literally just saw the poster and just kind of went from there. This is a part of my little series right here where I'm just catch catching up on all films in 2022 that I've missed, and I'm basically selecting films that I've heard a lot of things about online, whether it be good or bad. And I just want to kind of find out for myself and catch up on all these films that I've missed. Never saw a trailer to this. Just kind of looked at the poster and was like, okay, they could be parodying romance novels. Uh, it could have like this really great comedic uh, tone to it. But also it could be like a psychological thing where these characters are thinking this is happening, but something dark and disturbing is happening beneath it. I had no clue where it could go, but just from the poster, I was intrigued. So after watching, uh, excuse me, after just seeing the poster, I didn't watch any trailer, jumped into it. So after watching the movie, I kind of like it. You know, it's it's one of those movies that's going to like live or die off of its climax because a lot of people are going to be invested in this tension and mystery surrounding the story to when the climax happens. It's not really a big deal. And I think a lot of people will find it like it, it was a... Uh, um, uh, what's the word? Like it was, um, like the ending was disappointing or something. And I think for me, the the movie definitely sets up the sense of paranoia, taking things out of context or things that are in context, um, and exposing them and making sure other people don't get hurt in these scenarios. Like 
there's a lot of things to it where that ending makes sense to me. Um, and so I really enjoyed it from that standpoint. You know, listen, I think what Jeff does here, especially with uh, Allison Bria as co-writer, they really craft a unique cauldron of tones throughout this entire thing. There's a dark comedic undertone throughout this entire thing. There's also like a psychological thriller uh, type of tone to it. It's also quirky and weird. Um, it's kind of offbeat. Uh, I like the the performances and how um, everyone has like this this very comedic sensibility, but like also like there is a a mystery that they're trying to solve. And like I, I don't know. I thought just everything about it. It sounds like it should not work on paper, but for some weird reason, the story works for me. And there's a bunch of things happening to where I just um, enjoyed the the clashing of tones, but it actually worked out really well and I actually like this film a little bit better than the little hours so uh, i think it's an upgrade for me when it comes to jeff baina's uh filmographies and i really like the elevation of the story and how it just it takes elements from comedies and thrillers and it just kind of stacks on top of each other and it just it, it gets more intense as it goes and then uh once the the air is kind of released out of the tire so to speak and the climax happens and you're like wow we were stressed for nothing but that just goes to show you how uh, talented Jeff is as a director, really kind of tricking us the entire time. And then when it finally comes head to head at the very end, you're like, oh, well, I mean, no one should have been worried about anything. But then again, some people take paranoia and they take, you know, things out of context to the next level to where I can see this stuff happening. But also, I liked it from a comedy standpoint. I thought this was a really funny movie. I was just, I was dying laughing at pretty much anything that uh, Tim uh, Heidecker. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Uh, let me just double check here in real time. Zach Woods is also in this. He's really funny. Tim uh, Heidecker, yeah, from Tim and Eric. Definitely that that kind of like off-brand type of humor where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work for like most people, but for me, it works. Uh, he's so weird and awkward. Uh, Molly Shan's in this. Uh, Allison Brie, Zach Woods, like I mentioned. Really great cast for this small little film. Little Row Howery is in it for a little bit. Yeah, I really like the cast that uh, Jeff was able to kind of uh, come together with. I thought everyone kind of had their own unique personality and they all stood out with their characters and everyone had an important role in the film, whether it be comedic relief or whether it to be help, helping out Alison Bree's character. Either way, I really liked everyone's involvement uh, in this and it really just made this um, uh, world that they were creating a little bit more uh, tangible and a little bit more grounded. <clears throat> really great stuff, but... Yeah, and also since it is set in Italy, it's kind of beautiful in some of the shots. You know, they really utilize a lot of uh, mountainsides and homes and um, the greenery and the, the waterfronts. Like, it's just a really kind of gorgeous movie. And I'm, I'm surprised that, um, it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was most of their budget, was just traveling to Italy to um, film this. So I, I have no clue. But um, yeah, I really like the, the scenery. It really kind of helps with this fantasy like rom rom romanticizing uh from the main character and everything so it works out and it kind of goes hand in hand with the poster so <clears throat> is it my favorite movie of the year no but i like it enough um to recommend it it's something different something quirky um definitely like i said it's gonna live or die by that climax whether people are gonna be frustrated with it whether people are like yeah that was, that was pretty good um and you know the very very ending of the film you know the main character finally stands up for herself and tells someone off and i'm like that was that was worth it just right there 
because she she was put through hell, and uh, I'm just glad that like she did something about it. So uh, that was really great to see. So yeah, uh, overall, this is this is why I like Allison Brie. She chooses interesting projects like this, and I will continue to follow her career um, if she wants to continue to make stuff like this or Glow. Really, really fascinating stuff. And those are my thoughts on Spin Me Round. Please let me know down below what you thought of the film, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts on it. So when we come back from a short little break here, uh, I'm going to be going over the final three, uh, Watcher, uh, The Gray Man, and Windfall. So uh, just come, come back. You know, just come back around. <laughs> And thank you, uh, and thank you for coming back from the second break. Uh, let's not waste any time. Let's jump into Watcher. So what is this movie about? A young American woman moves with her husband to uh, Bucharest and begins to suspect that a stranger who watches her from the apartment building across the street may be a local serial killer decapitating women. Now this is kind of like a modern uh, retelling of like Rear Window for this generation. So that's kind of like your vibe right there. This is a part of a series where I'm just kind of like reviewing a bunch of things that I missed throughout this year where I've heard a lot of good things or bad things or whatever. I just wanted to decide for myself and this one popped up on my radar. So this is why I'm catching up with this one. So going into it, I never saw any trailer. I remember seeing the poster uh, on Twitter when people were talking about it, like, oh, this is actually pretty good. I really like this one. It's a, a really good horror film. Like, you know, I'm always about that. So and plus, I really uh, enjoy. Uh, Makeup Monroe, um, you know, It Follows was one of my favorite films of that year, and she was kind of a breakout star in that. So I really wanted to see her just be in this kind of like world again where she's in a horror film. So, um, yeah. So all of that going in, finally saw it. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's not it's not anything where I want to rewatch it again. Um, but I think for the actual experience, and especially with its runtime of it being an hour and 30 minutes, just right on the dot, you take off five, six minutes for credits. I mean, it's a pretty brisk little movie, but yeah, it's good. Um, you know, uh, as far as it being like an updated kind of modern take on Rear Window, I can definitely see that. And I'm totally fine with that. I always like uh, when filmmakers kind of come in and just make a you know, that type of movie for this generation. And I don't know, maybe it'll uh, make people seek out the original one, Rear Window, and maybe ones before that that it influenced. And who knows what it could it could uh, spawn off. But maybe when people watch this, like they'll just want to watch more horror films, which is always a great thing. So yeah, pretty good. So what I really liked, it, uh, liked about it the best was that Maka Monroe, if you watch It Follows, her character in that has this invisible thing following her. She has to play up that kind of like paranoia, like unsettling feeling throughout the entire film on whether, you know, uh, if she's uh, seeing it or not, or like, is it playing with our minds? Like, is it actually there? Is it not there? Is it all in her head? So you have to really pull that off as um, a performer. And I thought she did a fantastic job because what I like about this script, and especially the uh, direction from Chloe uh, Okuno, is that you never knew what was real and what wasn't. Was she actually seeing someone across the street when she was in the grocery store in one scene? Was this person actually... We, it, it plays with your senses until the very end. I, I really like that kind of trickery on the audience. And I like the, the tension buildup and just us not really knowing. And I'm kind of along for the ride at this point because I want to see her uh, take on this person if, it, it, if he is real or if like 
what the twist, like my intrigue and my, my interest was there and the mystery was so strong that I really liked the way uh, Okuno like directed this thing and really kind of kept us on our toes while we were watching this. And the suspense was, was, was prime. It's, it was there. And like, I, I really, I really enjoyed it from that uh, standpoint. And, uh, you know, and like I said, it's not like the most like cleverly written thing. Cause especially when the ending happens, like it's satisfying, but you know, it's one of the options that you can see coming. So it's not like anything like surprising, but it's a well-written script. Um, and especially with something as closed off as this environment where it's like two or three settings, it, it keeps it going at a pretty steady pace. And so I really enjoyed it from that standpoint. The performances are, are, are also really great. Uh, Make them in row. Um, she she can do horror movies really really well and i really like her kind of in these roles where like she she witnesses something you don't know if it's actually real or not and then she has to kind of fight uh this thing and she is just just a really fun performer on that standpoint cuz like when you cross her and she 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 gets to you she will mess you up and that, i really like that that kind of like fierce look in her eyes especially at the very end when you're like you just stand up and clap you're like thank you thank you um, her husband, uh, that in, in the movie, Carl Glussman, I've seen him in a couple of things. He's, he's fine in this, but I think what really it boils down to is Monroe and, uh, Bern Gorman who plays the watcher. I won't say if he's real or not. The coldness, the deadness in his eyes, the, the way he moves, like it's a very physical performance and you feel creeped out just watching him watching you back and watching her and it's just it's a really really well done performance by Bern gorman so those two uh performers uh they def they definitely like drive this entire thing i also like the way this film looks you know there's a lot of like pretty and eerie um you know and creepy nighttime shots and a lot of them takes place in nice apartments and um yeah it was just it was a really nice city that was shot really well the lighting was utilized uh, to um, its full effect with like the the horror elements and it was really kind of creepy in some scenes. So I like this. I like the way the movie was shot too. Yeah, there's really nothing else to talk about. Like I thought it was pretty solid for the most part. Like I said, if you have an AMC Plus subscription, go check it out. You might enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I I was surprised by this one. I didn't think it was going to be good. I thought it was just going to be kind of okay, but I like it. And that is my review on Watcher. Thank you. Uh, for tuning in on that one and you know let me know down below what you thought of the film whether you liked it loved it hated it, all that stuff so let's jump into the second film on uh this catch-up part one and that would be the gray man so what is this movie about when the when the cia's most skilled operative whose true identity is known to none accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets a psychopathic former colleague puts a bounty on his head setting off a global manhunt by international assassins sounds pretty cool right Rooster Brothers directing it, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Billy Bob Thornton. Like, come on. Come on, right? So going into it, I remember um, hearing about this in terms of like Netflix slate for 2022. I was like, hey, listen, I love movies from Ryan Gosling and seeing Chris Evans as the villain. And of course, the Russo Brothers, you know, they can handle big budgeted movies as, they, as we saw from Infinity War and Endgame. So was curious to know how they were going to do it because this was also a 200 million dollar movie so i was hoping to see every single cent on screen and justify that price tag so i was curious i'm not like the biggest you know action uh genre person i like a good action film every now and then like i'm a huge fan of, like the john wick franchise currently um 
and I, I like a lot of old school action films, but action is not my go-to genre. But I'm always willing to be open to um, try out new ones. And so that's why I stumbled across this one because, you know, this is a part of my little series where I'm catching up on movies that I missed throughout this year where I've heard a lot of things on online, whether it be good or bad, and I just wanted to watch it and determine for myself. So all that going in, I think I saw a trailer once. The poster looks fine, I guess. Um, and so after watching it, it's fine. Um, it, it's one of those movies where it's kind of forgettable. Um, I did not know that this is, is this based on a book? Let me just double check that. It is based on a book. I feel like the book is probably way more interesting with than what this is. Does this, uh, make for a good story? It does. I just, I feel like they didn't really tap into the character work of it. It was just more of like, here's this action spectacle, which is also fine. Also fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just felt like that was the, the main goal of this was to have each action set piece outdo the previous. And so the characters kind of get lost on me and I don't feel as connected to them. I don't feel um, any weight to them whatsoever. I, I feel like I'm just watching these lifeless video game characters go from scene to scene, just, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And I'm like, that's fine, but I want something there. Um, uh, something uh, just a little bit more tangible to grab onto. Are some of the action sequences cool? Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, I think I had more of an issue with like some of the compositing and kind of like green screen work that was associated with some of the scenes where you can definitely tell it's it's sticking out like a sore thumb. It wasn't blended in um, as well as it could. Other than that, like some of the action sequences were pretty awesome. It did deter away from it with some of the shaky cam, like the airplane sequence in this film. I thought on like on paper, concept wise, pretty cool. Camera's moving around too much. And I'm like, I get it that this would be a chaotic situation and wind's going around everywhere. You need to make it look realistic. But as an audience member, I can't really see what's going on. And so it's stuff like that that kind of annoy me because I'm like, well, if you're going to be like this action spectacle type of film, you know, try it a little harder. That's all, that's all I'm saying. And so, you know, from an action standpoint, I think it works some, sometimes. Um, some of the um, VFX for, work little janky but you know so some of them were fun and creative and i can at least give them that as far as actual story goes like i said the story is intriguing at first um but it's kind of lost on me and by the two hour mark i was kind of just done with it i was exhausted because they were so action focused that when some of the action scenes are not really hitting for me and that's kind of dragging for me that two hour runtime is going to seem like a four hour movie so i think there's like some patient pacing issues as well and so um because i i was like checking the time every so often i was like man this this is just there's something off about the pacing but um yeah the story sounds interesting on paper but i just i just felt like it got lost a little bit characters get lost a little bit um so could there be an offset and have the performances be at least good that way it kind of Elevates it just a little bit. I think everyone's fine. Um, I love Ryan Gosling. I thought he was sleepwalking through this. Chris Evans was the only one, I think, having like any type of fun with this. Um, 
because at least he, he was giving it his all. He's supposed to play like this psychopathic former colleague. I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, on a day, Armas, barely in it. She's fine. Billy Bob Thornton, um, he's got a couple scenes. They're fine. Um, I think everyone just does a fine job. And Chris Evans would probably be the MVP for me just because, like, you know, if you're going to go full camp with it, that's fine. He was doing that, and, like, it made it a little bit more enjoyable to watch. But, you know, <laughs> everything else was just, like, it's fine. It's serviceable. Um, as far as, like, cinematography and VFX work and, like, uh, all that stuff goes, you know, it's it's serviceable. Like, there is definitely scope there because they go to, like, 100,000 different countries um, so the scope is there and I, I felt like this was a worldwide cat and mouse game. So that was kind of cool to add to the atmosphere, but that's about it. Um, everything's fine. Like, I, I just, I don't know what else more to say. I felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities here to where you can have like this big budgeted action film and have some great character work, have a great investive story that you just, you can sink your teeth into. I just never felt it with this one. And while some of the action sequences were were creative and cool and bombastic, everything else was a little lackluster. And it's like, well, if you're going to make it, you know, action forward, at least I expect that to be like going on all cylinders, you know? So, yeah, The Great Man's not really for me. It's it's a fine movie, but it's not like anything I want to ever rewatch. And I know they're going to be making The Great Man universe, so we'll just see how that turns out. And that is my review on The Gray Man. Please don't let me know down below what you thought of the film and just all that stuff. I'd like to know your thoughts on it. And for the final film of this part one of the 2022 movie catch-up, it is Windfall. So what is this movie about? A man breaks into a tech billionaire's empty vacation home, but things go sideways when the arrogant mogul and his wife arrive for a, uh, for a last-minute getaway. So that is your plot right there. And so, you know, this is a part of my series where I... Uh, I Missed a lot of movies this year and I wanted to catch up on. And whether I heard great things or bad things, I just wanted to kind of watch it and determine it for myself. This is one of the ones that popped up in that conversation on Twitter where people were just talking about it. They're like, this is actually like really good and like no one's talking about it. It's got Jason Siegel, Jesse Plemons, uh, uh, Lily Collins. Like it's got a great little cast. And it's actually directed by Charlie, um, uh, Charlie McDowell, who also did uh, this little film. Let me check his... Uh, uh, IMDb real quick. Um, cause I, I've seen it. The one I love, uh, the one with, uh, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. I thought that one was kind of like a weird little kind of romantic movie, kind of sci-fi bent to it. I kind of dug it. And then he also did the discovery, which I did not see that also had Jason Siegel in it. So, uh, uh, Charlie McDowell, you know, very interesting filmmaker. And so when this came out, um, people were talking about it, like, this is actually a pretty good little, chamber thriller where everyone's stuck in this house and we kind of just hear them talk out this situation and so i was like oh yeah i love all three of these actors so let's go for it never saw a trailer saw the poster i love the poster kind of definitely like hitchcock vibes so after watching it I like this one. This one's really good. Um, if you want to watch, like I said, one location type of films, these chamber thrillers where everything's just all in one location, you're going to like this one quite a bit, especially with three strong lead performances and um, just all of the subtext underneath with like the story and the characters and like what they're going through. A lot of, you know, conversation, uh, uh, you know, of today's society and stuff. And I really enjoyed it from that standpoint too. So, um, yeah, so let's go ahead and start with the 
kind of direction in the story. For the most part, uh, Charlie McDowell like really creates this like just underlying tension between all three of these people because we have Jason Siegel who broke into their house. We have Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons who are the couple. They are rich. Jason Siegel is not. He holds them at gunpoint. He wants ransom money. And so just everything about that just right off the top. You're like, okay, I'm curious to know how far he takes this. I want to know what is going to happen and why he is doing this. And the mystery that kind of like unravels right before your eyes. I was just, I was intrigued from the moment it started, from the moment it ended. It was just like, it was a wonderful slow burn where every single moment I was on pins and needles trying to figure out like, is someone going to snatch the gun away? Is someone going to tackle someone? Is he going to shoot someone? Who's going to show up? Like everything about the story kind of kept me uh, on my toes. It cut, it, it caught me off guard a couple of times. The ending of the film is, I didn't really see that coming, which was pretty nice. It, it kind of uh, uh, ended on a, a big bang for me. So yeah, I thought it was a really well-written movie. Um and one location movies are not easy. They're really not. Like you have to have interesting characters. Your story has to be interesting. And there has to be enough intrigue there to carry a whole hour and a half runtime. Um, and so I thought uh, all, all of the story components really worked really well. Charlie McDowell knows how to build tension. I think I even remember that from the one I love uh, from um, that movie when I watched it. He has a way of having these like interesting characters that you don't really see on screen that often. And so you're just already like enveloped into that world immediately. And that's kind of how I felt with this. As soon as the couple gets to the house and Jason Siegel runs into them game on it's, it's, it's a really good kind of three way conversation between all of them and all of them have different viewpoints, especially with like, uh, uh, like wealth, wealthy, uh, like the, wealth classes and everything and like the, the conversations that they have because Jason Siegel is more middle class and, you know, Jesse Plemons is, you know, he's the CEO. He's like the Jeff Bezos of this world. So it was interesting to kind of hear them talk and like, you know, uh, what people expect uh, from society and different wealth class. Like that, that all that conversation was just fascinating to me. So I really liked it from that standpoint too. So just on a dialogue level, character level, story level, and just building suspension, uh, or suspense, uh, just uh, all the way through really great stuff. So, um, and then all the performances were great. I, I miss Jason Siegel, um, quite a bit in film. So I'm glad that he is back in doing stuff. Cause he was also involved with the story, um, uh, element to this, like him and Charlie McDowell both came up with this. So I'm glad that he's like still continuing to write and everything. And, um, I think he was also involved with the discovery as well in the, on that point. So, um, yeah, I've always been a fan of him and his, his writing, especially when he's the man behind Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's one of the best comedies I've ever seen. So I know that man can write. I, I want him to write more, especially stuff like this. Jesse Plemons is the GOAT. This man can do no wrong. Like, even with some of his subpar movies, great. He, he's always great to me. I like Lily Collins. She's starting to grow on me. I actually watched that Emily in Paris show. She's charming on that show, and I think she she carries it really well, and that's her show. And um, but yeah, all three of them work work really well together. But Jesse Plemons, man, I just doesn't matter if he's playing a CEO like this rich tech billionaire, or if he's in Power of the Dog, he plays a cowboy. It doesn't matter. The guy can do it all. I love that man. I love Jason Siegel, and Lily Collins is is really good too. Like I, I love all three of them in this role. So yeah, I thought everyone did a really good job. 
I loved uh, also like the way this film looked because it's on this like giant like like acreage and like there's trees everywhere and this house is beautiful and like the 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 landscape is also beautiful. I don't know. It's just a really like nice and beautiful setting, but like <laughs> at the core of it is just this really intense story about someone wanting money and holding people hostage. Like yeah, I thought I thought it looked really cool and it fit the part of the CEO and his uh. His uh, earnings, I guess, you know, in his house. But, but yeah, I, uh, I I like this one quite a bit. Check it out on Netflix. It's a really breezy watch. Uh, let me just check the runtime really quick here. Yeah, an hour thirty two hour thirty two minutes. Chop off three to five minutes for uh, credits. Now you're looking at under hour and a half. Very quick little movie. I think a lot of people need to watch this one. This is one of the better Netflix films. That I've seen in quite some time, um, and it came out this year. And thank you for tuning in for this review of Windfall. Hopefully uh, you liked all six of these reviews, but let me know down your thoughts and below uh, for the, for Windfall. But um, that will do it for this extra episode of the Real Me and Cold Movie Podcast. This is part one of the catch-up of this year. I will have many parts throughout the, the rest of the year. I don't know when I'm going to sprinkle these extra episodes out, but you're going to get them along with the regular episodes. So uh, there's that. Let me know down below what you thought of all these films that I talked about, and that will do it for this extra episode. I'm Chase Lee for the Real Man Cold Movie Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Share, like, tell people about it. You guys know what to do. You guys are awesome. See you guys on the next one. Bye-bye.